Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility by a natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naturna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome everyone. So another nutritional spotlight. We are talking about carbs. And, you know, this is such a timely topic because everybody's wondering if they should be eating carbs and what carbs and, you know, we, I've done an episode about fats and being fat phobic since like the eighties, but I feel like the more recent trend is to be carb phobic and I get it. Like I think eating less carbs for a lot of people is a good thing because, they just tend to accumulate on our bodies and make our blood sugar and insulin go all over the place. But I think quantity type and how we prepare them makes a huge difference. So let's dive in. Carbs get a bad rap, but they were not all created equally like protein and fats, which we have discussed. Carbs are a macronutrient and are needed to provide energy to the body. They are naturally occurring sugars, starches, and fibers found in food broken down by the body into simple sugars, mainly glucose. Glucose is used as energy and fiber. The other part of carbs passes through the digestive system. And I love me some good fiber for fertility since it plays a major role in sweeping out hormone-disrupting chemicals and toxins, literally sweeps bad stuff out of your system. Not to mention it's amazing for ridding excess estrogen, that makes us feel fat and crazy. If you've been through an estrogen, uh, sorry, an IVF cycle, then you know that. If you have bad PMS, then you also know the effect that excess estrogen that hasn't left your body is having on you. And if you have issues with constipation, then the excess estrogen tends to build up in your body more so. And it's an interesting thing because a lot of people who have bad PMS also get a bit more constipated leading up to their period. And so like fluids and the right fiber and the right foods is super important because it can actually help the monstrous PMS that you're having. So how much should we eat? It really depends who we are talking about and what kinds. But as a general rule, about 45 to 65% of the daily diet should be carbs. I would lean towards the lower end of this. And I'm not talking about refined carbs. Like I'm not talking about like, oh, eat like, you know, 50% of your diet and like pasta or crackers or bread. Uh, But we'll get into that in a little bit. Mainly, I find blood sugar and insulin imbalances are such a critical source of fertility challenges for many of the women I see. By the way, it affects men too. But you may have heard to lean into complex carbohydrates. These are carbs with more sugar molecules linked together that take longer to break down and thus don't spike your blood sugar and insulin as easily. Examples are whole grains, lentils, beans, and vegetables. Simple carbs are those that are composed of small molecules and break down easily. 
They also tend to spike blood sugar and insulin as a result. Some occur naturally in fruit, but they are rampant in processed foods like pasta, cookies, bread, crackers, energy drinks, soda, juice, and candy. Overconsumption, or honestly consumption at all for some people, leads to elevated insulin, insulin resistance, high cholesterol, and metabolic syndrome. So if I have one bite of something sugary, I feel high. I think some people are so used to it that they like don't notice the high, but like I literally immediately notice it go to my head and I'm like, oh, whoa. So it's such a powerful drug, sugar is. Like there, there was a study done that showed that like mice that were given cocaine and sugar, like they were more addicted to sugar than they were to cocaine. And obviously we know cocaine is a pretty potent drug. So, so that tells us something. Sugar is just so mainstream. And when I talk about sugar, I'm not talking about just like candy. I'm talking about carbs too. Bread, pastries, cookies. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I just have like a cookie or two a day. And I'm like, eh, it's like still kind of feeding the monster. Or the carb thing, like you're, you might be getting it through drinks or you're not even noticing. Like if you have energy drinks or seemingly healthy drinks, you have to read the label, by the way. Because if, you, if you're consuming drinks that are like 20, 30, 40 grams of sugar, like it's not good. No matter if it has a label telling you it has like ashwagandha and whatever else in it. We will get right back to today's episode in just a sec. But I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell you about an exciting new project that I have underway. So here it is. I get a lot of questions about what to eat and avoid when trying to get pregnant. Since so many of you are interested in optimizing your fertility via nutrition, I've created a very special course that teaches you the ins and outs of just that. It hasn't launched yet, but keep your eyes and ears peeled from my course on fertility nutrition. Whether you are already undergoing IVF or just trying the old-fashioned way, my goal is to help give you all the nutritional tools you need to enhance your fertility and speed your path to baby. All right, let's jump back in. If you look at the back and it's got 20 plus grams of sugar, this is not helping you. It's just marketing to you in a way that you feel good about buying it and consuming it. And I also don't think consuming too much stevia is a good idea or sugar alcohols, erythritol, for example, because these taste sweet and still can behave similarly in the body. So anyway, I'm not going to go on a big tangent about different types of sugars because we are talking about carbs today. This is a big issue, especially for women who are already predisposed to issues like elevated insulin, insulin resistance, cholesterol, such as those with PCOS, women with endometriosis, fibroids, or other estrogen dominant inflammatory conditions. That said, excess carb consumption or consumption of bad carbs is is really bad for everyone. See, like skinny women who, you know, everybody's like, oh, you can eat whatever you want. You still have flares of insulin and there are consequences to it. You don't have fat building on the outside of your body, but you'll have it building in your organs, which is arguably more dangerous. I see tons of women with high cholesterol and high cholesterol is not a cholesterol issue per se. It's not really about the eggs and eating meat and lobster and things like that. It's usually about your carbohydrate metabolism. It's usually about sugars and carbs and what that does to your insulin and how that affects your triglycerides. Consistently elevated insulin is associated with failed implantation, miscarriage, gestational diabetes, poor egg quality, and more. When your blood sugar and insulin are high, you tend to suffer more inflammation. And when you're inflamed, you have more issues with blood sugar metabolism. So it's kind of like feeds into each other. Other things to note is that excess refined foods and sugars lead to yeast and bacterial overgrowth. Think endometritis, 
leading to failed implantation or chemical pregnancies. It deprives the uterus of circulation, which is again bad for getting or maintaining a pregnancy and for growing eggs. Higher insulin leads to higher male hormone levels, which can lead to problems with ovulation, building lining, and growing random unsightly hairs on your nipples, on your belly, or on your face. It will also make you tired, puffy, fat, and mess with your sleep. You can figure out which foods have more propensity to spike insulin and blood sugar by checking glycemic index chart, easily Googleable. Note that the method of cooking can also render things more sweet, like baking a sweet potato um, is sweeter than boiling it, for example. Bake it down, you'll notice they become like really sweet when they're baked. And boiling it, they're still sweet, but it's different. You'll see also the sugars come out in baked root vegetables, and they, they brown. The sugars like literally like sweat out of them. I've made the case for why we don't want to eat refined carbohydrates, and but there are carbohydrates in more than just grain foods, right? So carbohydrates are coming from even green vegetables like broccoli and Brussels sprouts and asparagus and spinach. And obviously they come from orange vegetables like pumpkin and butternut squash and sweet potato. They come from fruits, berries, apples, pears, bananas, and so like these are all seemingly healthy foods, right? And, and they are. And my philosophy around what to do with carbs is to really eat the rainbow. And when we're eating the rainbow and we're getting a big variety, there usually isn't a big problem with it. That said, if you sit down and eat a plate of root vegetables a couple times a day, it's too much carbs. When we look at our plate, we want to see a certain amount of carbs, like maybe let's say half of a yam or something, a small yam or a couple carrots or a roasted parsnip or some kind of butternut squash soup or puree kind of thing. This is, this is a carb. This is a healthy, nutrient-dense carbohydrate. And then you have your protein, maybe a couple ounces of some kind of animal protein or like half a cup of chickpeas or lentils or something like that. And then maybe you have some olive oil, some coconut oil, nuts and seeds sprinkled on. You know, you have your fat, some avocado. You want to have a balanced plate. And, and I would recommend you get more of your carbohydrates from these colorful vegetables. The no carb craze, I think, is a bit more focused on grains, which I think is somewhat okay, except that I think... Unless you have a very compromised gut, you really can't poop at all. You have a lot of inflammation in your body. You have a lot of candida overgrowth. I'm not super, super worried about you eating a little bit of grain. That said, I don't recommend you eat grain every day. So maybe a few times a week you have an orange vegetable or an another type of root vegetable like beets or parsnip or something or butternut squash. And then Maybe every second day you have quinoa or rice or buckwheat or millet or something like that. You know, you're not having grains every single day in your diet. And also the quantity matters, like half a cup cooked rather than like a full cup cooked. Varying up the carbs, not getting too many grains in there. The argument over lectins, I'm not as worried about lectins because when you cook them well, they're not as harmful for the system. And you'll hear me time and time again make an argument for cooking the food well, which I know is really against the fad of eat raw, keep the nutrients intact. But I've just seen clinically that when people eat cooked food, digestion goes easier and they de-bloat and they feel better and more energy. 
And when they eat a bunch of raw stuff, it, it doesn't go as well. I, I do think there's a place for raw cleansing diets, but it's usually like at a retreat when, you know, you're sitting and chewing and being balanced with your life, having time to digest. Squash and root veggies are some of my favorite carbs. I think the legumes making their way in there, but cooked, not eaten on a salad are, are good. You know, your chickpeas, your lentils, your black beans, but pay attention how you feel. If they bloat you, then maybe it's not the best food for you. You really just have to tune in. Everybody's different in terms of what their body tolerates. Green veggies are great. Like a lot of leafy greens, they just don't fill you as much. So I'll do like boiled butternut squash with sauteed kale or Swiss chard or something like that. And that makes for something really delicious, especially with some olive oil on top or some sesame oil, lime or something like that. It's really great. In terms of the fruits, I would just say limit it. I don't really recommend more than one piece of fruit per day and more on the domestic fruits that are lower in sugars. So pears and green apple over mango and pineapple, for example. So on top of cooking the food, I'm also a fan of spreaded grains and beans over conventional um, because they're easier to break down. It's, it's all about easy to digest in my world um, because, again, the digestion, I think, is crucial to our overall health, fertility included. To summarize, the reason why we want to be looking at carbs for fertility is because we want to have the energy to feed the processes that we're, that we're trying to have happen. Like I want the body having easy energy to build an egg and to supply energy for implantation, growing a fetus in the luteal phase after ovulation, we actually have a higher demand for carbohydrates in our system, which is interesting. Our body temperature goes up. We have a little bit higher demand for carbs and we have more craving for them. So in the luteal phase, like the phase between ovulation and menstruation, you can, you can get away with a tiny bit more carbs, but you're not going to get away with them. If you start piling in grains, you're going to start feeling bloated and constipated and horrible. So that's why you're eating like these, these other forms of them, like these root vegetables, these green veggies. And overall, I think green and orange vegetables throughout the month are very safe. I think you can probably get away with a little bit more beans and grains pre-ovulation. Post-ovulation, you might, with the progesterone rise, you might lend to have a little bit more bloating. So eat carbs, just not too many. Be careful of what kind and how you cook them. And see you next time. Have a great day. Until next time. I'm really happy you've tuned in and joined the community. And I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at at Naturna underscore life to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.